message is titled Bearing Fruit in Advancing Age, and uh, you'll notice underneath that there's a little parenthesis that says um, Turning 50. And uh, I mentioned last week I was on one side of 50. Now I'm on the other side of 50. And uh, I have this, uh, that was my real motivation originally for within the framework of the Moving Forward series. I reason I ultimately, I was drawn to Psalm 92 was actually because of the unique marking point that I was entering into and what I had, had just been so touched by at the end of that Psalm that we're gonna look at in a few minutes. So it actually is what drew me into the 92nd Psalm was just kind of being aware of the marking point in my own life. Well, you know, because every decade um, for the last three, I mean, I, okay, I'll put it this way. When I turned 30, all right, I was a young pastor here. I've been pastoring for five years. In, 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 <laughs> I'm surprised anybody even listened to me when I was 25, but uh, <laughs> I did. So um, I turned 30. I preached a message called Turning 30. Ten years later, I turned 40. I preached a message called Turning 40. Now I'm turning 50. And the message is kind of connected to that. It has a lot to do with what I'm thinking the Lord might want to say. And over the span of that time, I had a, seen a lot of things, you know. Started out as a youth pastor and uh, was mentored by my grandfather. I've talked about this before, but um, that is a part of what I want to share about. But I want to look at Psalm 92. So Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. I want us just to look at the 12th verse for a moment. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Great promise. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow. That person will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, the imagery is, is profound. It, it would have meant even more to someone living in the, in the ancient um, you know, time of Israel. And even now, it would mean more to someone in the Middle East who's familiar with, with this, uh, these two references. But... Uh, I don't want to run past this. Even though we are in a completely different culture, the, the imagery, the metaphor that is being used here is really designed to, to t tell us something. And uh, the palm tree, and I, you notice in your handout, uh, we did a little pen and ink, and we, we put that in the handout there. You can see the palm. This particular palm actually is, a, is a called a date palm. You can see why. I don't know if you can see there's on the, on the top there, underneath the leaves, you can see these like clusters. Those are dates. And um, their dates were golden fruit, and palms, particularly date palms, um, were capable of bearing that fruit and were highly then uh, prized. And you could, one of the amazing things about it is the palm tree was loved and almost revered, not just because of its stateliness and its grace and its beauty, it kind of has that, but also because of the fruit that it yielded. And it yielded these fruits um, from generation to generation. It was... It was just a, a, a part of their life, and, and sometimes the, the, the trees would last for centuries, slow, steady growth from year to year. And it was a tree that was exceptionally also resilient, uh, could, could continue to grow under tremendous heat, and so it was almost unaffected by the changing conditions of the, of the seasons, and so it was just admired as a symbol. And in fact, some of us may or may not be aware, but in the in the sanctuary, in the, in the temple that was built for the Lord, in the, holiest, in the Holy of Holies, there was an instruction there, but Solomon had them paint palm trees in the holiest of holies. Uh, the other tree that's being referred to here that the righteous person will be like, 
was the, notice it's the other great tree in the region, the cedar in Lebanon. We'll just put a picture of one of them up for us just to get an idea of what it was talking about. You can see that this tree is less noted for its, its grace, but for its strength, and it's, and it's beautiful in its own way, but it's a different kind of beauty. And it has a kind of strength to it. The, the famous wood was dense and was highly prized in the area. In fact, Solomon uses that particular wood to build the temple. So the pictures that were being given here are not just coincidental. I mean, they, were, they capture something of gracefulness, resilience, fruitfulness, uh, you know, strength, seasonal adaptability. Both trees were evergreen. And so there were just a few of the ideas that are captured by the imagery of what the righteous will be like. And then going on to the 13th verse, it says, and those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish in the courts of our God. The the phrase, planted in the house of the Lord. Try to, again, like a tree growing in the outer courts of the sanctuary. Spiritual life flourishes where the saints gather in the presence of God dwells. Again, we're invited by the imagery to use our imagination to view, to view ourselves as people who are planted in the very house of the Lord, to see ourselves that way, one fixed, one rooted, so that we could say with David, who would say this in the 26th Psalm, verse 8, he said this, he says, Lord, I have loved, we'll put this up, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. I've loved coming to your house, the place where your glory dwells. I've loved coming to the sanctuary. I've loved coming to the church. I've loved coming to the place where your name is loved and where your glory and presence dwells in a unique way, in a different way. And again, I I look at that verse and I'm reminded, even in this one here, that that he was talking about the power and the presence of God in a place. And, you know, it's one of the reasons, and and, and for us, it it really does, the the place where his his presence and his person and his presence are celebrated and honored is in the context of, of, of a gathering, like what we're doing right now. That's what he was talking about. And, I, and you know, I, it's one of the reasons why, um, as a community, as a church, like so many other churches in, all over the world, but we really, you know, feel very committed to seeing our little ones planted in the ways of the Lord. It's a very important value to us. Many of us um, have come from backgrounds where we were taught about Jesus, from our earliest years. I know not everybody. I know that's not true of everybody, but many of us were. In fact, it's not uncommon for me to talk to people and to hear them say, you know what, I drifted away. Or some things happened and I just got, you know, I got offended, I got hurt, I got angry, I saw hypocrisy, whatever. I drifted away. But you know what? I feel like, and I'll hear, the, I'll hear, I'll hear people say this to me, um, you know, I, I feel like I need to come back to my roots. And others are saying, I need to come home. I need to come home. Where I, and, and again, you know, I was thinking about the idea of planting in the house of the Lord. And I thought, you know, that's what I tried to do. My wife and I have tried to do with our kids. Now they're adults. You know? And as the years, in our early years, it was really important for us to have a place where we could plant them. Because you know, I, I look back, and even in my own life, I know this is going to, it almost doesn't even seem natural for me to say this. But it was. It was 50 years ago that I was brought into this building as a baby, you know? And that's like, that's a long time, you know? (laughs) I was thinking about that. And I thought, you know, Lord, now I'm at a marking place in my life, entering into the sixth decade of my life, and I'm going, you know, but I have loved the place of your habitation. I've loved your house. You know, from my earliest years, I remember being in his house. And, And I'm praying that by his grace, as the years go by, 
um, that I will continue to have a love for the house of the Lord. In verse 14, it says, they shall, they shall still bear fruit in old age. Uh, they shall be fresh and flourishing. Man, what a promise. What a goal. I love that. I'm claiming it, right? <laughs> the almost, again, see the picture, the almost ageless palm bearing fruit in old age. Old, but fresh and flourishing. Older, but fresh and flourishing. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I reminded again of the verse that we shared last week. The Apostle Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He said this. He says, let us not lose heart, be discouraged, worn down, beaten down by life. Though our outer person, even though it's perishing, it is in some degree of decay. Our inner man, our inner person is being renewed day by day. So think about that. Even though it's inevitable, as the years go by, we eventually we will lose strength. Outwardly, we cannot sustain a prime. But if we do this right, we can keep growing and flourishing all the days of our life. Think about this. At an internal level, we can stay eternally young in our spirit. And because of the victory that Jesus won on the cross, someday on, on the basis of that victory that he won over death, we will have the opportunity for a, and I love this, for a renewed body to match the renewing spirit. How great is that? What a promise, what a gift. But in the meantime, you and I are invited to bear fruit as the years go by, as we move forward in life. And, and our goal should be to pursue the, the character formation that God wants to work inside of us, but not just that, not just the strength, but also an inner vitality that allows us to stay fresh and flourishing as a people who love God. That is extraordinarily important. Now, look at verse 15. It says this, to declare that the Lord is upright, that he is my rock, and that there is no unrighteousness in him. As I sit with this passage, and again, the, the, the invitation here is that there is an opportunity to bear fruit in older age, yes, as the years are pushing towards their latter time of our life, but also I was reminded that there is unique fruit to bear at every stage of our life. If we're younger, there is a unique opportunity, a seasonal assignment, a plan that God has for us at this early place in our life. And assuming we have, we're in the middle years, God has a plan, an assignment, a seasonal call. And as the years, as we move forward into our advancing years, he has a will and a desire and a plan. Every stage of life, God has something he wants to build, work. He wants to keep us alive on the inside. He wants to keep us flourishing. And again, as I look at this passage with its, with its uh, I just call sparkling invitation to move forward into a vibrant, flourishing life with God, I put it next to my own personal journey with the Lord. And I just kind of want to offer this to you because there are some things that I've been reflecting on. I'm going to call them aspirations based on Psalm 92 that I'm hoping all of us will be thinking about and just consider, even though it's, it, there is some degree of a personal component for, the, for me on this, I'm, I'm believing that there's a value and a benefit for many of us here, regardless of where we are in our life stage. And the, the one aspiration I have, and I'll just put this one first on the board, is this, to develop a flourishing faith that is graceful, that is strong, and look at that last phrase, you guys, that is highly adaptive. That is a really important piece of this, like a palm tree and a cedar in Lebanon, a faith that is resilient, that is sturdy, a faith that can handle the inevitable ups and downs of life, which will come our way in every stage. It will happen. 
the ups and downs that every season has, there will be unique challenges. And every one of those challenges that, that occurs uniquely in a life stage brings an opportunity for us. You know, I was reminded of what the great apostle wrote, because I've been spending a lot of time with the apostle Paul. I've been thinking a lot. I've been preparing for a series that we're going to share, Lord willing, in the fall. Uh, I'm going to talk about the early part of his, his ministry with Jesus, this man who had been such a, a persecutor and a hater of Jesus Christ and how he had his life radically altered, and he went from someone who hated Jesus to someone who poured his life out for him and spread this message of Christ wherever he went. And there was this one moment in, in his life where he's later in his years and he's in prison. And he writes, he's in prison because of his faith. And he's writing to churches that he's planted, and one of the churches he wrote to was a church called Philippi, and I put part of that, a very small piece, in the handout because I was thinking about sturdy faith and resilient and adaptive faith and how that's a God's goal for us. And look what he says. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Listen to me. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little, whether I prosper, whether I don't, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I look at that and I go, well, this is a picture of one planted. I mean, Paul's faith, do you see how adaptive his faith is? I mean, he, where is he saying this from again? He's saying this in a place of confinement. He's in prison. He doesn't have, he's deprived of his freedom. He doesn't have it. And that, really, that reality amplifies the power of what his words are actually saying to me and us, all of us, because they're not just platitudes and even aspirations. You know what? The, the, the truth is these words are born out of a circumstantial reality that would depress most of us. Most of us were, were, were deprived of our freedom and our liberty because of our desire to follow Jesus. It would be really hard not to be discouraged. There are, there are people where that's happening, but I'm looking at Paul and I'm going, man, his attitude is not critical, it's not cynical, it's joyful, it's centered in gratitude. He's not blaming God for anything. It's not like he's saying, hey, God, you know, Lord, I did this for you. Hey, I'm in prison. Where are you? Why aren't you showing up for me? Why are you allowing me to suffer? It's not there. After all I've been doing for you, where are you for me? See, that's not there. There's, it, I look at the, all we, what we see here is a declaration of praise the Lord that's followed, if you read the whole passage, it, even before it, and then it's followed by this even more powerful declaration that he had learned how to be content in every situation that life threw at him, whether he was blessed or not blessed, whether his stomach was full, whether he was hungry with nothing to eat, whether he had plenty or little. He, what he was saying is, look, I did, I've learned, I've learned, I've, look at that phrase, I've learned. You know what learned means? I didn't get it all at once. But as I've grown, as my faith has matured, as I've learned to grow with Jesus, I've come to the conclusion that I can be content anywhere and in anything. My faith, he says, is such 
that I can be prospering and feeling, like the older version says, I know how to abound and how to be abased. I can be having the best of things and celebrate that. That's wonderful. That's great. I'm content there. But I can have the loss of all things and still find a reality with Jesus that almost can be found in no other way. That is a powerful truth. I mean, when you think about it, he's saying my power base is in Christ and I'm rooted. I'm rooted. And so because I'm a rooted person, I can go through anything in this life. Anything. That's, that's what he's saying. And he really is connecting with this, this psalm, I think. I mean, he's describing a person who's rooted, flourishing, strong, whose faith is anything but fickle and dependent on circumstance. If it goes my way, I'm with you, Jesus. Things go against me. Where are you, Lord? That's not Paul. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow, he has an extremely resilient, there's, an, there's a resilience to it. It's, you know when you have that kind of faith, when we have that kind of faith in our life, when the Lord is present in our, and when we're rooted in that, do you know that there's, there's, we can absorb the pain and the disappointment of life. We can, without being corrupted by it. I mean, there are things that will really, could plant anger in us and bitterness in us and wounds in us. And the Lord has a new season. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow, you know, not only that, there are things that we face. There are numerous temptations. I've talked about the kind of culture we live in. It's extraordinarily toxic. We're constantly being sent messages all the time, whether it's like this is, you know, body image stuff. We're always being tempted to get addicted to stuff. It's, 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 it, it's, a, it's an area and a time where to keep our soul healthy is no easy thing. And the, Lord, and the Lord wants us to have a kind of faith that is capable of, of at, at an inner level, be, being extremely resilient. You know what else I notice about Paul? Uh, he has this ability to bless and encourage even though he himself is being deprived. Think about that for a moment. It's one thing to say, Lord, I thank you. It's another thing when someone else is being blessed that we know. And we ourselves are hurting and they're getting blessed. And you know how hard, that, you know how hard it is to be genuinely happy for that? Say, I'm so, thank you, Lord, for that. Bless that. Well, he, I'm looking at him, I'm going, he's not, he's not feeling sorry for himself. He, he's, he's, you know, he's hurting, there's no question about it, but he's blessing, he's blessing. And that means someone else's blessing doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from us, but it's really hard sometimes to be, that is a gracious, that is a right way to have a faith that is active and alive and flourishing. And so I'm thinking, Lord, this is what I want to have by your grace, Lord. May we all have a faith that is extremely resilient, that has a sturdiness to it, that doesn't just kind of you know, get beat up and then it quits because things are tough, but a faith that learns how to soar, and sometimes even in its most greatest magnificent ways, when things are not going the way we want them. But there's a deepening of our soul. The roots go deep because it's harder. But in that, out of that comes a growth that can prepare us to have a faith that can endure. It's adaptive. It can, it can deal with the good and the bad. Whatever comes my way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I aspire to that. Also to this. What did the psalm say? And here's the second piece. I desire to also to remain. We, we desire to remain planted in the Lord's house. And when it comes to being planted, I was thinking about this. I think about the idea of being planted Three levels come to mind. Someone who wants to be planted, a person who's planted in God's house, flourishing and planted. It's going to mean that we're going to have to challenge ourselves, number one, at a personal level. And what I mean by that has to do with our own life with Jesus. I often talk about the power and the benefit of having our own time with him as a habit in our life. 
that it's almost impossible for us to have a growing life with Christ if we don't spend any time with him. I've never heard of any relationship that has genuine love in it that is not also then complemented and with attentiveness. That if we're not willing to actually listen and hear, we will never have intimacy. Remember I talk about what intimacy is? Into me see. It's an openness, it's a vulnerability. It comes by spending time. We spend time with Jesus. That's what we talk about, the, the value and the benefit of having a time where we're learning to the Christian life is about we read his words. We let his words fill our, fill our hearts. We have time when we're doing it. We're creating space for God to speak to us. We're taking our life, laying it against his word and saying, Lord, are the things that you want to say to me? We're taking seriously the voice of the Lord in our life. We're challenging what we're building. These are very important truths. We're creating a relationship with Jesus that is real, that is personal, that's alive. It's a key to flourishing. We're we're thinking, reading, we're open. God's a part. Look, what does he say? Remember, renew day by day. Jesus said, give us what? This day, our daily bread. It's a daily life with him. But it's not only at a personal level. I was thinking about it. It's also at, number two, it's going to be, if we're going to be planted, we're going to also not only have a personal level, it's going to have to show up in a, in a small group, in a friendship level. And we often talk about the power of a small group. Jesus himself, when he starts the church, and I'm thinking anything between 3 to 15, but usually 12 is often we talk about it. Why? Because Jesus himself starts the church with a small group. It's the model he uses. And out of that small group came, the, came friendships and relationships. And one of the ways that God, he, God works in our lives and plants us in his house as a flourishing tree as the years go by, bearing fruit, is when we have the benefit of establishing relationships that actually help us grow. Because you know what? None of us on our own are strong enough. I know I say it all the time, but it is true. The Bible is true. And it's no, it, it tells us the honest word. You know, two is always better than one. A threefold cord not easily broken. Woe to the one who is alone when they fall. There is something about it. I can't tell you as the years have gone by, how many times there have been critical places and times where it's important to have someone who I could trust and pray with and say, you know what, I'm, I'm so weak right now. So pray that God give me strength to do what I know is right. Right? I want to feel sorry for myself. I want to quit. We pray for one another. that You, you know what the Bible says? Confess your faults one to another in James and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, there are some, you know what that tells me? There are some things that cannot be dislodged, cannot be healed. Um, some wounds so profound and deep, so patterns of behavior, so intertwined with who we are that it's going to require other people joining with us to, to, meet, to, to let them mediate the grace of God into our life for us to get breakthrough. You understand the power there? The power of others in our life? The power of relationships with people who are also seeking to honor Jesus, to pursue a growing life with him? Do you see the power in that? Do you see what he's talking about? It's so huge. It's so important. It's, so, it's a, such a key to put that time in. And then when, we, when we get the strength from one another, and I thought not only that, it's also true at a community level. If we really want to be planted in the Lord's house, we want to be a person growing and vibrant as the years go by, then one of the things we're going to do is not only pay attention to our own personal life with God, but also pay attention to, our, to having friendships in our life and, and being connected at a small group level which is where those friendships often flow out of. So that we're, oh, and by the way, just hear me out before I even push into that, just quickly that community piece. A true friend, listen to me, is someone who will tell us the truth 
and, and periodically even be willing to risk the relationship because truth matters enough to speak it in love. It is no friend who, when there is a problem and it's clear, doesn't want to talk about it because, because that would read a risk the relationship. You know what the Bible says? The kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. They're, they're, and I'm not talking about walking around. I'm not saying don't be sensitive. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying is true love is not closing our eyes to obvious problems. That type of thing will sink us. And when, but we need to be able to be open. That true love at times will have a hard conversation because it cares enough to risk. And the value of community is, is to me obvious as well because we're talking about weekly gathering, what we're doing right now, gathering as a large group to worship with others in the Lord's house in celebrative community, part of a people, part of a place where I exercise a weekly habit of what Jesus did. He himself modeled. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's a Sabbath principle. So it is with you and me. It's a place where we hear God together. I have a place. I have a place that is my home, my home church, if you will. And then for me, I, I take it a slightly different angle on this. Being planted in the, in the Lord's house tends to show up. And I'll just do this quickly, but in three ways. And I tried to make it as simple as I could. Because I want to, be, I want to stay with him. I want to walk with him. I want to have a flourishing life with him as the years go by. I don't want to, I don't want to quit, and I don't want to get detoured. I don't want to let people down, and I want to try to honor him. So should you. I know we do. And I'm, going to say, I'm going to say it's going to show up, number one, in, in, in loving and I'm, I'm not talking about so much loving people outside. And yes, I'm not, I talk about that all the time. Here, we talk a lot about letting our light so shine before people that they may see our good works and then be drawn irresistibly to the grace of God. We talk about the importance of not disconnecting as someone who says, you know, I love Jesus. I love Jesus when I'm getting together and then I live as if he's irrelevant to me the rest of the week. We talked about the danger of disconnect and what it can do to, you want to talk about what it can do to little ones? Hypocrisy kills so many people's faith before it even gets going. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about being a consistent, authentic version of someone who's following Jesus. And you know what? If we can do that, it will produce tremendous fruit. And, and again, when I, when I say that, I, I'm, so I'm not talking about love. I'm, I, I know that there is times we have to challenge ourselves to be congruent people who profess one thing and then we seek to live it out in our jobs and the way we treat other people. I get that the way we serve those who, who are in need. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about how we love one another in community. Because Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, his final moments with his disciples, only John's account tells us this. He turned to them and he said, listen, I'm going to be leaving you. I am about, the Son of Man, he spoke of himself, is about to be glorified. That's so how he spoke of the cross, because he saw behind, past it. He says, and, when I, and after I'm glorified, I'm going to be with the Father, and I won't be with you anymore. And then he says, now, and just, as I see it, you look at me right now. Listen, a new commandment, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Listen, he could have said anything right there. 
if you have love one to another. That's powerful. He was saying the badge starts with those who we are gauging relationship. He says, by this they will know that you are my disciples. By, and we do this. He knew, he knew, he knew the tendency. They had been arguing already earlier. He knew, and he was saying, look, you need to do what I've done for you. You love one another as I have loved you. That is very different than so much of what we hear. I mean, a lot of times we're hearing, we're hearing in our culture, you look out for yourself. You take care of yourself. People walk in all the time. We bring our stuff in here. You know, I'm better. I've achieved. Others come in angry at everybody. The Lord says, that stuff's left. That's not how it is with my people. I want you to love one another as I have loved. A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is the way, when it's all said and done, this is the mark of the true disciple. Do not say, I'm going to go straight, and then you hate your brother. Or compete with your brother. Don't do that. It's powerful. In love, and then the other thing I was thinking about is something that's very personal to me as well, but in my giving, that's number two, in our giving. Um, how I support the church with resources, thinking about our money. Someone who says, oh, you know, this is my home church and never gives anything. You know, when I was early, I, it was like, how family works. Well, early on, my grandfather, who I mentioned Oh, this is interesting. It was when he was 70 years old that he had the most impact in my life, that period, that decade. He taught me, he modeled how to love Jesus. He, he was someone who in his advancing years stayed vibrant on the inside. I never forgot it. It made a difference in my life. I was this teenager, right? Growing into my, yeah, the point is, he bore fruit in his old age. But you know what he taught me? Early on, he said, if you're serious about following Jesus, and I started as a teenager to really make that decision on my own, he says, you know what, Terry, I want you to remember this. You can never outgive God, and I want you to establish a life pattern of honoring him and his word. And from that day, he taught me the very first time I ever earned anything. He taught me the principle of tithing and offerings, and I have been doing it ever since. And I say that because I taught it to my kids as well. I said, you know what? This is how we live. God is the giver of all things, and we honor him. And this is how we do it with our first fruit. And it's been a pattern in my life. And it's been a huge blessing since boyhood. And I've, I'm, I, I was taught it, and it's been huge in my life. And I'm just saying that. And then it shows up, lastly, in our serving. And I was thinking about the body and how important it is. If I really want to be planted, you can't just be a spectator, a servant participator. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then lastly, thirdly, bearing fruit in old age. This is a desire I have and I hope we all do in our advancing years to be a fruitful person. We can debate, okay, all right, we can debate what old age is. <laughs> but one thing is certain, God wants us to stay fruitful as the years go by. And you know what? And I'll leave us with this. If we want to do that, two things. Think pacing, number one. Think pacing. I'm a big believer that the sustained Christian life is not the sprint. It's the long haul run. It's not how fast we get out of the gate. We talked about this. It's the sustainability. It's the resilience. That means we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. We're going to have to know ourselves. We're going to have to know, listen, we have to be honest about our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, about the things that tend to drop us. So that when the right buttons are pushed, we just our strength is gone. 
We drop into old patterns. We gotta know that. We gotta know. We gotta start. Th- then we, we once we're aware, we gotta also be thinking about when we need to slow down because sometimes we're going so fast, and, we're, and then there are other times where God is gonna say to us, "You know what? You need to pick up the pace." And and we also had an idea of what is healthily gonna replenish our batteries. We've talked healthily, healthily. Give attention to life rhythm. We've been talking about all these things. Watch our habits. I'm a big believer. Spiritually speaking, you know what? To sustain a vibrant life with God, you've got to make adjustments every now and then. Be honest with who we are because we all have unique vulnerabilities. Make adjustments. Surround ourselves with other people who want to also pursue the life with God. And then as we do that, we're going to find that if we're sensitive to our limitations, I'll be honest, the Lord is going to show up in amazing ways. He is. And then, and then the last thing, think pacing, think new. And I'm saying this mainly to those of us who've been following him for a little while or who are much older in life. I know when we're young, we think we have all the time in the world. But this is a principle, and these principles hold wherever we are. But remember, we, there is a tendency on everyone's part to get stuck in patterns. And it's certainly the especially true as we get older, to get stuck, to shrink down our world because we want to play it safe. And that's very understandable. But, but God wants us, if we're going to bear fruit, means we're going to be open to new things, new friends, new opportunities, uh, new challenges in our life. We can't be afraid of things. Can't be afraid of things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. Can't be afraid of things. Paul was saying, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And you know what? That, when that happens, when we really, some, and some of us, you know what? We just need to start seeing ourselves in different. What is my seasonal call? Am I being, is God asking me to be a, a, maybe a mentor? So, I tell you, sometimes you get older, we say, Lord, I'm not, there's no retirement in your kingdom. There's only promotion, and that's oh, the ultimate promotion. But in the meantime, between now and when you promote me, there's work to do, love to do, love to do, love to give, work to do, a person to become, an influence to leave behind. I want to build something, Lord. Let my roots get deep down, Lord. Let my roots get deep down, Lord. Help me not to be a fearful person as the years go by. Help me not to be an addicted person as the years go by. Help me not to be a sour, critical person as the years go by. Keep me, keep me sturdy in my faith, resilient, optimistic, open, hopeful, new, well-paced, life-giving, a blessing, not perfect, but a, can you help me by your grace to be an island of stability in an age of rootlessness and discontinuity? Can you teach me how to be a person that people can rely on? Help me, Jesus. Every season, new opportunity. Can't change what was, you guys, but we can do a whole lot about what is and what is to come, assuming God gives it to us. By his grace, run this race. In Jesus' name, let it be so, Lord. All right. God, we ask you to to speak to us, to be with us. Um, As the years go by, and none of us knows the span of our day, but one thing we know, you're calling us to live a resilient, fruitful life in you. No matter what happens around us, no matter what happens in our world, you can teach us to have that power base that is unmovable, like that tree that continues to bear fruit as the years go by. Generational blessing just being passed down. We talk about generational hurt being passed down and curse being passed down. Well, what about the generational blessing? Lord, I pray that you would continue to do work in us. None of us ever get this thing totally right. But you can use, and that's what you do, you use imperfect people to, to work in this world. And I pray that you would use us, Lord. By your grace, help us to, to run well. I pray for this. Bless, you know, bless our time of giving, Lord, as we close the service out. Bless the closing song. May you be honored in all things. 
keep us fresh and alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God, and amen.